Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, founder and CEO of Exaptic, a robotics company based in Melbourne. I'd like to welcome Professor Donna Kulik to our show today. She's been a professor at Monash University in the Department of Engineering since 2019. Her research interests include robot learning, humanoid robots, human-robot interaction and mechatronics. Donna, welcome and thanks so much for making time in your hectic schedule. Thanks very much, Nikki, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So Donna, can you tell us about your journey and how you ended up in Australia at Monash University? Sure, so uh, I've, uh, I, I grew up in uh, Vancouver, Canada, um, and I did my PhD at the University of British Columbia uh, in human-robot interaction. Um, and I did my PhD with Professor Elizabeth Croft, um, who at that time was at UBC. Uh, so after my PhD, I, uh, did, I decided to go to Japan um, to do a postdoc at the University of Tokyo. I spent three years in Tokyo doing um, research on robot learning. Um, and then I came back to Canada to the University of Waterloo. Um, and I built up my own research group there and my own lab at the University of Waterloo. Um, and then in uh, 2018, uh, my former PhD advisor, uh, Elizabeth Croft, uh, moved to Monash to take up the position here of Dean of Engineering. And um, she invited me to uh, come for a visit. I was, I was actually in Australia for attending a conference and she said, oh, you know, why don't you drop by and while you're in the neighborhood, uh, come and visit us. Um, so I came to visit Monash uh, and I fell in love with Melbourne uh, and I really was excited about uh, all of the great initiatives that were going on in Monash, both in engineering and in the university more broadly. Uh, and so I decided to uh, yeah, pack up my lab in Canada and, uh, and uh, come, come over. <laughs> oh, listen, we, we're so lucky to have such two extremely capable and esteemed uh, roboticists in our midst in Australia. I think lucky Australia is all I can say. Thank you. <laughs> so you've been appointed to lead the planning and establish of the Monash Robotics Precinct. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it and how that's going? Yeah, absolutely. So um, even before I uh, arrived at Monash, Monash uh, already had a number of really excellent researchers who are working in uh, various aspects of robotics, including mechanism design, perception and cognition and learning, um, as well as uh, human-robot interaction, uh, autonomous vehicles, connected vehicles, um, uh, vision, quadcopters, control, and so on. Um, and the idea with uh, establishing the new robotics precinct is to bring all of those researchers together uh, to allow us all to work together more closely and also be able to take on bigger uh, and more impactful challenges. Um, so what we're doing is we're building a facility that would allow us to bring all of the robotics researchers together in a single space uh, that would allow us to work together more closely, collaborate, um, and just increase the interaction between the students, the researchers that are in different departments and different faculties, and also to give us uh, a really world-leading experimental facility where we could uh, experimentally validate our research in a more systematic and realistic way. Um, so a lot of times robotics researchers have the challenge that um, 
you know, they, they have a really excellent idea and they maybe illustrate that idea on kind of a small, you know, tabletop prototype. Um, but the real impact of this idea would be on some, you know, uh, physical system, uh, you know, so for example, let's say a robot in industry uh, or a robot uh, in a person's home. From the experiments that are just in a simple prototype system, you're not really testing all of the different scenarios and conditions that can arise in the realistic setting. So there's this big gap between what was demonstrated in the lab and what is needed in the real world. And the hope of our experimental facility is that we can start to bridge that gap uh, so that we can actually uh, build and test more realistic scenarios that are much closer to the final application domain um, so that we can see that actually the ideas that we have are working much closer to practice and make it easier for those ideas to be then um, uh, deployed uh, in the real world. Okay, so do you um, involve industry as well? You're just talking about your students now, but um, is there collaboration with industry? Absolutely. So our hope is that uh, this center will have, that we will have in, within the center very close uh, collaborations with industry uh, where we can do joint research projects, where some of the experimental validation scenarios can be inspired and motivated by the problems that industry is facing. Um, where we want to do joint supervision with students so that students maybe spend part of their time on campus and then part of their time at the uh, industrial collaborator. Uh, and we also want to invite industry partners uh, you know, to make use of our experimental resources if they have their own technology that they want to validate in the lab before uh, they deploy in the field. So which um, Monash campus is, is the robotics center going to be? Uh, it will be on Clayton campus um, mm -hmm. right within um, so this is kind of a really exciting, um, uh, not just robotics precinct, but also engineering precinct that's being built up at Clayton because we're going to be right next to the makerspace uh, where our undergraduate students and teams have access to really excellent fabrication, prototyping, and machining facilities. Uh, and our students will also have access to that. Uh, we're also going to be right next door to the new uh, Woodside Teaching and Learning Center. Um, and also, uh, the IT faculty is moving uh, their entire group to Clayton, so we're going to be right beside them so that we can also collaborate very closely with um, the researchers in IT, including the optimization group, the learning group, um, and the human-computer interaction group. Oh, it's fabulous. So how far is the precinct? Like, uh, with COVID, I'm sure there would have been an interruption now. Uh, yeah, so we are still, uh, things have been delayed a little bit, but we are still hoping that we will have the facilities um, built uh, and ready to go by either by the end of this year or early next year. Um, so we are actually taking the entire floor of an existing building and it will be extensively renovated. So just um, a few weeks ago, uh, we completed kind of the moving out of everybody. Um, and we're hoping that uh, in the next few weeks, we will start the demolition uh, and the reconstruction. Oh, it's, it's just fabulous, fabulously exciting, especially because I'm just around the corner from you and I know exactly what you're talking about because I was there the other day looking at, uh, I was actually in the Woodside lab as well. So I, I can just envision how great it's going to be. So Monash is going to have a robotics degree now as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? That's right. Yeah. So Monash is really placing a huge focus on robotics. And it's not just in the graduate research domain. It's also 
very much on the undergraduate research side as well. So we have a new undergraduate degree that is a degree in robotics and mechatronics that is um, basically building on from our uh, mechatronics degree, but really focusing directly on robotics um, topics right from the undergraduate level. And I think this is super exciting because most universities at the undergrad level, you would take something like mechatronics or electrical engineering or mechanical engineering, and then you would only have the opportunity to really focus on robotics in your uh, master's or PhD uh, level. Uh, but we are really bringing uh, robotics, uh, you know, we're starting uh, with robotics education right from the undergrad level. Um, because there's a interest and demand from kids uh, who have, maybe they've gotten excited about engineering by participating in robotics clubs. Um, and we actually want to start teaching that material right from the undergrad level. Uh, and also from the demand side, there is, you know, robotics is kind of a, the, this next wave of technologies that I think will be deployed in, you know, not just in industrial setting, but in service settings, in the home, uh, in hospitals. So There's so many uh, new applications which you're, you're yourself very, very familiar with. Um, and so we need to be training the next generation of roboticists who can, uh, you know, develop and deploy uh, this technology. So if a, a year 11 and 12 student is looking to come and study at Monash University, what sort of subjects would they need to have? Is it the normal STEM subjects or would you be able to, um, if you don't have that background, still enroll in a robotics course? Yeah, you do need the STEM subjects, particularly, uh, you know, those grade 11 and, and grade 12 um, uh, subjects in math uh, and the sciences. Um, yeah, I don't know if, I mean, I think you raise a really good question, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm not aware if there is another path into engineering for, um, you know, students that do not have the, uh, the requisite high school background. Yeah. So when will this course be available from, is it already available that you can do it now? It's already started this year, yeah. So, and then the other thing that I do want to mention that is the real strength of Monash uh, undergrad education is the student clubs. Um, and so this is kind of extracurricular activities. So beyond learning about robotics in your, uh, in your lectures and tutorials, there are these, there's um, a number of these amazing student uh, run and student organized clubs that participate in uh, robotics competitions. So there is a Monash Rover Club. Uh, they uh, participate in a competition that is to design a rover that can operate on Mars and do uh, planetary exploration. Uh, there is also a huge team that works on autonomous vehicles. There is a team that works on connected vehicles. Um, uh, there's also a team that looks at uh, uh, outreach, so developing uh, and delivering outreach to younger students to get them excited into STEM. Um, so it's just a real great, you know, when you come to Monash to do undergrad, undergrad uh, you really have, you can really kind of surround yourself with robotics, both during, uh, you know, lectures and after school and get to hang out with all the other students that are really keen and really passionate about, uh, about robots. That's like a really immersive culture that you have there. How is the collaboration with other universities? Like, um, you know, like UQ's got a, a strong robotics field up there in, in Brisbane as well. Um, is, is that sort of an ethos with universities to collaborate with each other and work that's been done? Yeah, so definitely on the, on the research side, um, we are uh, working closely together and Monash is part of the 
um, Australian Centre for Robotic Vision, uh, which is run by, uh, uh, which is led by Peter Cork at, at QUT. Um, and also there are uh, uh, other Australian universities that are part of that, including University of Adelaide and uh, ANU. Um, and um, I think also on the teaching side, there is a collaboration. So recently within ACRV, we have been organizing these um, uh, robotics um, and robot vision summer schools, where we invite young uh, PhD students uh, and also master students and some undergrad students to come and kind of do a boot camp where for a week they learn all about uh, robotic vision uh, and uh, kind of get, get excited about uh, robotics research. Um, and so those have all been uh, activities that have been designed in collaboration between multiple universities. Oh, listen, if you can get me on the guest list there, Donna, that would be wonderful. Not that I'm remotely even a PhD, but I'll keep quiet and just absorb all the knowledge if I can. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your, your PhD and humanoid robotics. What, what excites you about them? So actually, when I was doing my PhD, uh, I was not yet working in humanoid robots. I worked on safety for human-robot interaction. So yeah. the, my PhD topic was to figure out how we could um, uh, ensure safety when we had physical interaction between um, a human and a robot. Um, and so I did. Um, I looked at strategies that were pre-collision. Uh, pre so the idea is, can the robot plan its movement to make it safer? Uh, can it implement um, kind of control um, strategies to uh, increase safety? And then also how the robot can use both the perception of, the, of itself and the perception of the human to figure out where there is a danger. Um, and so as part of my PhD, um, I uh, uh, did a number of experiments where I invited um, uh, users who were not familiar with robots to kind of, um, uh, you know, sit next to a robot and uh, the robot was trying to reach for something in front of them and see how various control and planning strategies would impact their perception uh, of the robot. Um, I actually started working with humanoids when I uh, went to the University of Tokyo. Um, and uh, in that research, I was interested how novice users could teach a robot how to perform tasks. Uh, so what I wanted to do is to have a person who didn't know anything about the robot to just demonstrate to the robot how to do something, and then have the robot observe that demonstration and figure out, okay, how do I do this thing that's just been demonstrated to me? It's fascinating. You know, I'm listening to you and I'm going, thinking of all the research that's been done in robotics over the years, many years with very, very smart people. And you would sort of think we'd be much further along the journey than we actually are. Yeah, I think so. Robotics kind of, I think part of the, part of the challenge we're working in, in robotics and human-robot interaction um, is that we have this expectation of robots that comes from works of fiction. Uh, you know, so for most people, before they ever encounter a real robot, they have encountered robots in movies, in books, uh, and in those works of fiction, you know, the robot is usually much more capable than we are, and um, uh, you know, has these both superhuman physical and superhuman, uh, you know, cognitive capabilities. Uh, and then when you see a real robot, it's like, oh. Is that all? <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
I, I don't think I have to worry today. Like, I mean, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that leads on to people say, oh, robots are going to take my job. You know, like what, what would be your typical response to that? You know, I actually think that, um, uh, you know, especially these days with this whole COVID situation, I think the bigger concern is that why, you know, why aren't the robots capable yet of all the things that we've, um, you know, that we want them to do? You know, wouldn't it have been amazing if we could have had, uh, you know, robots that are delivering these COVID tests so that our health workers aren't at risk of infection? Um, you know, wouldn't it have been amazing if uh, robots could have been doing the cleaning? You know, when we have... Uh, you know, when we have an infection at a school or at a hospital, uh, you know, human workers have to go and perform this deep clean, and they are placing themselves at risk of infection when they do that. You know, they have to put on those like hazmat suits, and um, you know, if they make a mistake in how they put the suits on, you know, they could they could be at risk of infection. And if we could have robots doing that work, um, you know, it would be you know safer for for everyone. Um, so I yeah. I think the the question is really, should really be like, why aren't robots um, you know, as capable as we, we want them to be, rather than worrying about uh, robots being too capable. Yeah, and taking our jobs. I, that was, that's always a question, you know, with my telepresence robots, I get asked, oh, you know, are they going to take my job? I go, no way. You know, like, this is a communication, but it's a piece of technology that happens to be a telepresence robot. That's a classification, but it's not going to be replacing anyone anytime soon. So, you know, like, I think you can relax and, and just be at peace about that. So what's, what's been the most exciting study that you've been involved in? So I can think of two. Uh, the first one is the PhD study that I kind of described to you because that was the very first study that I ran. Um, and so it's very, uh, you know, running a, uh, running a, a human robot study, it's very stressful uh, because, you know, you're, uh, you're designing a study, you have to make sure the robot works, you have to make sure that the participant is safe. Um, that was my, my first one. Um, so just um, uh, you know, seeing how people reacted um, and also just seeing the variety of responses. You know, so some people uh, were very, um, uh, you know, they were worried, they had they were worried about the robot, they just didn't want to be anywhere near the robot. And other people were totally blasé or just like, okay, you know, the robot can do whatever, I'm pretty sure it'll be safe. Um, so just appreciating that uh, you know diversity of responses. Um, the other study that I really uh, I'm really excited about is a study that we ran uh, a year and a half ago now, uh, while I was um, still uh, at Waterloo, and that was a collaboration between our lab and um, a really well-known um, Canadian architect uh, whose name is Philip Beasley. Um, so Philip uh, develops these um, interactive sculptures that have uh, sensors and actuators um, and respond to visitors that are in, in the installation. And so basically, these things are just like giant robots. Um, and what we were interested in is, could we learn how the robots should respond in response to visitors to maintain their engagement? Uh, so we implemented a learning algorithm that uh, was basically trying to maximize visitor engagement. And the really exciting thing about this study is that we actually implemented it in an actual museum. Uh, this happened at the Royal Ontario Museum uh, in Toronto. Um, and so what was really exciting about it is, first of all, that we got, we were 
managed to convince uh, the museum, they led us to run this uh, study, you know, this was their paying customers. Uh, <laughs> um, and second of all, to actually see these, um, uh, these kinds of technologies being deployed in, you know, with actual users who are not, you know, students in our lab or people that we brought to the lab, but actually in a naturalistic setting. So we really got to see a huge variety of um, people, you know, we, we had uh, school groups and kids, uh, we had, um, you know, uh, elderly visitors, uh, so really a much broader uh, demographics than what we would have seen if we were just recruiting people to come to the lab. Um, so it was great, and it was, uh, you know, there were uh, hundreds of visitors that got to interact with the system uh, as part of that, uh, of that exhibit. I suppose the thing is, again, as you mentioned, like a different emphasis of you using students as opposed to people that just engage with the robots and again, like the varying degree of responses. Um, you know, I found for myself that young kids are so inquisitive, they feel nothing. They'll come right up to it. They'll fiddle with everything. If it's not locked down, your whole, your whole little robot will suddenly be doing something weird and wonderful when they're finished with it. But, um, and I've had like older students in high school be a very, um, you know, reticent. They're a little bit more careful of, of how they approach the robot. So, um, again, what was your experience with people there? Yeah, so this is exactly what we found is that, so, so the, the uh, algorithms that we were designing were basically uh, trying to learn from the user. Uh, so when we had visitors coming into the space, we wanted to um, maximize their engagement. Um, and in this um, interactive sculpture, uh, if you were, um, you could either passively observe what the system was doing, or you could interact with the system by actually reaching out and touching it. And we wanted to maximize this interaction. So basically the system was learning online Whenever it would lose rise to more positive interactions, uh, then it would learn, okay, this is a desirable behavior, I should do more of this. Um, and what we found is that actually this learning capability is really important because when we had um, you know, younger kids in the space, they really preferred things that were very uh, active and lively. So if the robot was kind of waving around a lot and flashing its lights, uh, you know, the kids would get very excited. Uh, but if you had a single visitor, uh, then, you know, the robot being kind of more, you know, if the robot was all kind of flashy and the people would be kind of turned off by that. Uh, and so the robot had to kind of be more relaxed and more laid back. Um, and this was something that, uh, you know, solo visitors appreciated more. Um, so I think this is kind of one of the key things that, you know, in this case, we tested this in this kind of like entertainment um, application, which is, you know, really fun and, um, but, but this idea has applications well beyond that kind of entertainment application because this idea of adapting to the user preferences uh, and user needs is really important for any kind of robot that we want to um, deploy with, with human users. Yeah, so the emphasis is how is the robot going to help me um, and, and enable my life to be better and, and doing those sort of tests and experiments that gives you some sort of indication of it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So the key question is how can you, first of all, how can you measure what the person's response is uh, without it being intrusive, right? So this is again kind of this question of how do we move from the lab to reality? Because in the lab, typically what you do is you run an experiment and then you ask the person to fill out a questionnaire. 
right? Which, you know, that gives you kind of a detailed information of what the person thought, but you can't really do this, you know, if you actually want to deploy a robot in, um, you know, in a real environment, you can't have the robot asking, well, what do you think now on a scale of one to five? How am I doing? You know, this would be extremely annoying. <laughs> um, and so you need to, to come up with ways to measure the human response in a non-obtrusive way. And then the question is, okay, now you're measuring the response. So then how could you adapt, how do you adapt the robot's behavior to maximize the positive response and minimize the negative response so that you are really providing the service uh, that the person requires? So this also touches on roboticists that work with the robot. You're very familiar with it. This is your space that you deal in. You're not intimidated by it at all. But for the average person, this is completely new technology. You know, you go like, what the, you know, you're sort of a little bit taken aback when you first see it. And I've actually got um, the client in Adelaide who's using this for that purpose exactly. They've got a Temi just driving around there. It maps and it just moves around. And it's an inner technology hub. And, you know, the, the whole purpose of it is to familiarize people with the TEMI, robotics per se, and just, you know, just get used to the idea that um, these robots will in the future be integrated in our lifestyles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, but I do think most people learn very quickly. Uh, yeah. You know, if you look at the experience in Japan where they've had, uh, you know, kind of wide-scale deployment, uh, particularly of the Pepper robot. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was when it first came out, it was this, you know, novelty. And, uh, but now it's like there's a Pepper robot in every SoftBank shop, and it just kind of sits there in the corner, and people are like, oh, yeah, that's old news. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like their market's far more evolved than ours in Australia. So let's just also mention that the, yeah. the adoption rate is, is, I'd say, a tad higher. So, like, I mean, you obviously have a love for robots. What excites you about how we can collaborate with them? Yeah, so I really think robots have the, you know, the, the potential to help us, um, you know, improve human lives. You know, so take over the jobs that are dirty, uh, dangerous, and dull um, in, you know, in the workspace, and then also support people to have a better quality of life in their home, uh, you know, helping people who are or elderly, um, and um, so I, that's what really excites me is about uh, you know not uh, you know developing robots that uh, you know are taking over our jobs, but developing robots that can help us you know lead better and healthier uh, uh, and happier lives. Yeah, and I think it's come to play definitely in COVID. I mean, I see the adoption rate of robotics across the world is just, it's probably kickstarted us five years along the journey of just people going, well, this isn't obvious where you'd have a ro robot where, um, you know, previously you'd be a little bit, so there'd be a little bit of pushback against it. So Yeah, and I think especially those jobs like cleaning, mm. um, you know, d disinfecting, where, you know, th these are not high jobs that are, uh, you know, very desirable um, or, you know, good for human workers, that's where robots can really make a contribution. Yeah, they can come into their own. So, so you, you're involved in the roadmap for robotics uh, for Australia, the 2020 roadmap. Um, you know, what do you think of our state of play of robotics in Australia and how important do you think this roadmap is? Yeah, so uh, I think the roadmap is a really important uh, effort. This is something that is uh, led by uh, Dr. Sue Kay uh, and or originated from the Australian Centre for Robotic Vision. Um, 
And uh, so the, the first version of the roadmap came out a couple of years ago where they did this very systematic study of kind of what's the current state of um, robotics deployment uh, in Australia and what are the direct, you know, what are the opportunities for robotics um, and, um, you know, where are the places that Australia could play, a, you know, a, a role worldwide. Um, so my opinion is, you know, kind of a not as well informed outsider, you know, I'm just a recent arrival in Australia. I think that, um, you know, from the worldwide perspective, Australia is very well known for certain um, you know, aspects of robotics where Australia is really a world leader, especially around robotics for service industries. So mining, uh, oil and gas, um, some of those companies have really invested heavily in automation and robotics and are really um, some, you know, have world-class systems that are already in use. Um, and there is also a very active um, and world-leading research community in Australia. So we've talked already about Peter Cork. There's also a big, uh, Field Robotics Center in Sydney. Um, there's um, really world-leading expertise um, uh, across Australian universities. Um, but I do think that, as you kind of mentioned, in some other areas, the uh, adoption of robotics is maybe not as far along as um, it has been, uh, as it is in other parts of the world. And I think Australia could really benefit um, you know, Australia has kind of has uh, a lot of um, you know world-leading capacity in healthcare, and that's one place where robotics could play um, you know a big role. Um, so I think there are opportunities. Um, you know, another area where I think robotics could really play a good uh, big role in Australia is in the agriculture sector, uh, especially with um, a lot of the you know work in horticulture that is currently completely manual. Uh, I think there is lots of opportunities there to help automate because that work is also an example of something that is not, uh, you know, high rate of injuries, difficult to recruit workers, um, difficult to retain workers. That's some, something where robots could really assist. Yeah, there's certainly um, at the University of Sydney, um, there's a professor working on agriculture robotics there. Um, I actually attended, I listened to a talk of his and, you know, just the um, soil monitoring, when do you need to water, when do you need to fertilize um, very specific uh, um, poisons that are for eradication of weeds and things like so that you're not just blasting indiscriminately but really specific that robots can actually identify and they can just go and that that particular little um, the little critters is off the planet so definitely um, I, I, I think possibly also um, that was mentioned in another talk Queensland Robotics has also got a, a podcast um, and I think one of the interviewers said, you know, Australians are very, um, they, they're a little bit shy in coming forward at how, how good they actually are. Um, you know, they, they don't need to stand back for anyone in the world in terms of the technology they're developing and what they're doing here. Yeah, I think the other place where, um, you know, a lot, of other, um, a lot of other countries have really, at the federal level, invested heavily in robotics. Um, you know, so in the United States, there was a big uh, Obama robotics initiative um, where, um, you know, a huge amount of funding was given to, um, you know, researchers um, to develop new robotics technology. And similarly, the EU has a huge research effort uh, in robotics that's funded uh, centrally uh, and similar in Japan and Korea and China as well. Um, so I think there is a, a, an important role for government to play uh, to, uh, you know, facilitate the collaboration between industry 
uh, and uh, research in academia uh, to bring people together um, and to you know to, to foster the, the robotics industry you know the the robotics industry within the country. Well, I certainly think the roadmap, the, the 2018 edition, brought to light how many roboticists there are actually in Australia, the various businesses that, you know, like they just scattered all over the place, no real representation and no real knowledge of each other that they actually exist. And I think um, being involved myself, I can see from the uptake in the 2020 version, like there are so many people involved, um, people putting their hand up to be chairs, facilitators, actually writing up studies, um, you know, collating the information for Sue. So I think there's a there's certainly like a 100% more awareness of what goes on in robotics if you are in this space. And even if you aren't, you know, it would be hard to miss what's going on in Australia. Mm -hmm. So in terms of COVID, um, you're a lecturer at the university. How has this all unfolded for you? Yeah, it's, a, it's been a real, uh, real uh, uh, interesting time. Um, so we have been affected both as uh, lecturers and also as researchers. Um, so just in the immediate, um, you know, in the last couple of months, we kind of had to very rapidly shift from delivering all of our units in person um, to moving everything online. Uh, and it's not just lectures, which you could imagine, okay, you know, you deliver, instead of delivering in a classroom, you just deliver it on Zoom. What has been more challenging is the labs. Uh, you know, so how do, you know, if you have a physical lab where you're, um, uh, you know, experimenting with a robot, how do you shift that to, um, to online? Uh, and then on the research side, side we have also been uh, quite uh, heavily impacted uh, because our labs were closed for quite a, uh, an extended period of time. And now we are slowly being allowed to re-enter the labs, but in kind of a limited operating capacity. So we have to make sure that we are uh, respecting all of the health regulations with social distancing. Um, and that means that we're not doing any human-robot interaction experiments at the moment, no physical interaction experiments, because uh, you know we, we want to make sure that any participants wouldn't be uh, placed uh, placed in any danger. Um, and then, you know, looking towards the longer term, I am really worried about, um, you know, so recently there has been this announcement from the federal government about changes to the, you know, funding model. Um, and, um, uh, you know, from what I understand is actually, even though the government is trying to increase the uptake of students into STEM, um, uh, STEM topics and engineering, the actual funding that will flow to the universities for each engineering student is planned to decrease. Um, so I'm a little bit confused about how, uh, you know, how can we increase the number of uh, engineering student positions by decreasing the funding for each position. Um, so I am a little bit worried about how things will, you know, we actually need to educate more people in this topic, but instead what we're doing is we're cutting the funding. So it's kind of, um, a little bit of a mixed, mixed message. Yeah, complete dichotomy if you think about it. So decrease it, but actually the, the, the actual flow in between, just give that to the university and maybe top it up a little bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I see Sydney, New South Wales have also made an announcement that they complete overall of the um, syllabus of, of the curriculum of how they're teaching kids and I was watching some social media on LinkedIn, some remarks about people going and it was referred to, you know, like 
drones could potentially be a fad. I'm just quoting because I didn't actually read the article. I just got to the end of it and I'm going, well, um, not if you speak to someone like uh, Eric Peck of Supero that's, that's got this budding build business um, with emer medical emergencies, um, drone deliveries in Africa. Like this isn't a fad. This is, this is going to be a, a very substantial business. So um, just interesting insights that, that people have. We'll leave it there because we could have a whole different podcast on that. <laughs> so having lived in a few countries now, uh, do you consider Australia to be your final destination? Uh, it's a, that's a really hard question to answer. I really love Melbourne. I love the city. Um, it's just, uh, it's a beautiful city. Um, and uh, I love Monash and the work that I'm doing there, but uh, yeah, you can never, you never know where, <laughs> where you're, where you're yeah. going to end up. So I, I don't know that it's uh, the final destination, but I'm definitely enjoying, uh, uh, enjoying my time here. So what would you say would be your absolutely favorite thing about Melbourne? Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many things that I, I love. Just the, the sky and the colors. Um, it's a very, you know, like sunrise, sunset. It's just beautiful. I love the Melbourne coffee. Um, I love the city itself, how it's lively and vibrant and uh, so many things going on. Um, oh, yeah, I think uh, so many, so many really great things. And I suppose the weather would be nothing for you coming from Canada. This would just be, oh, this isn't cold. I can do this. Oh, yeah, this is fantastic. This is the best <laughs> weather uh, I've ever lived in. So... <laughs> so Touching on like you like obviously you've you've just an amazing career and everything. Do you ha do you have a mentor? Um, is there any career advice that you'd like to impart to our listeners? So I have really been lucky because I have had a number of really fantastic mentors. Of course, um, uh, Elizabeth has been my mentor both uh, uh, when I was doing a PhD and then also throughout my career and and now as well. Um, I was also very lucky when I was at the University of Tokyo. Um, I was mentored by Professor Nakamura, who is a very senior and distinguished uh, researcher, and I learned a lot from him about uh, robotics uh, and, and, uh, and how to conduct research. Um, and then also here at Monash, I've been very lucky. I've had a few mentors who have been really helping me with understanding the you know, Australian context and uh, the Australian uh, university system and, uh, you know, how, and helping me to, to become established here. So, um, yeah, I have to say I've been very, very lucky in that, uh, with that respect to have more than, more than one uh, really valuable mentor uh, during my career. Listen, it's fabulous. And, and having known you, I mean, I, I, I know that, um, you know, you can have people that actually tell you stuff, but it's, you also have to be wanting to listen and to learn. So, I, I, you know, your, your starting point is you open to take feedback and go, okay, listen, I, I need some guidance here. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of always, I really appreciate the, you know, the insights of people who have been there before me and, uh, uh, you know, who can also, uh, you know, kind of t have that big picture of you and kind of tell you, okay, this is really important, but this you can let go um, and give you that, uh, uh, you know, bird's eye view advice. Yeah. So any advice for anyone wanting to get into robotics? Um, maybe, you know, like maybe high school students, but anyone else? Yeah, so I think now is a super exciting time to be getting into robotics. Like, there's so much going on. 
uh, both in terms of research and in terms of uh, new startups and interesting jobs. It's a really, I think, promising and exciting career. Uh, there is just so many really cool things to work on. Um, you know, if you're interested in uh, mechanical engineering and developing mechanisms, if you're interested in working with people and developing robots that can, uh, you know, uh, help people improve their mental health, like everything inside that huge range, it's all part of her life. So it's super exciting time to be in the field. Um, so for any high school students who are interested in, in the area, I strongly encourage them to, uh, you know, to enroll in, in engineering and, um, and also to get involved in uh, student clubs, the, the robotics clubs. I think those can be a really uh, excellent, uh, enriching experience. Um, and I think my other piece of advice is, you know, don't plan too much, <laughs> especially after this year. <laughs> uh, you know, some people have this, um, you know, kind of life plan and they, it's very clear to them, you know, where, where they want to go and how they want to get there. Um, and I personally have never been like that. Um, you know, I've kind of uh, always just, you know, been very kind of opportunistic and, you know, things come up and I'm like, oh, that looks exciting. Let's let's give it a shot um and so far it seems to be working uh working well for me so <laughs> i think it's your infectious enthusiasm that's got you where you are so just the last point just on the precinct um is this something that will be open to schools um, for students to come and visit and come and see what work you're doing yeah absolutely once it's open we hope that we will have open house events where we can have um uh, students coming and and visiting um to see what's going on, um, as well as um, you know, for undergraduate students who are working on fourth year projects, that they can also uh, also work with us. Oh, I'm sad. Once it's open, I'd love to have you over. And, uh... <laughs> oh yeah, don't worry. I'll be there before then. But I'm just going. I can just see students coming and looking at you and going, "She's cool. I'm going to be doing that. That's it. I can see her." So you'll be mingling there and talking to everyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Donna, where can listeners contact you if they want to talk to you? So the best way to contact me is via email. Uh, so my email is uh, dana, D-A-N-A dot K-U-L-I-C at monash dot. Okay, I'll put that in the link anyway um, for the listeners out there. So thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed our chat today. Um, to our listeners, as always, please give me feedback. And if there's anyone who wants to be on the show, do let me know. Wishing you all a wonderful day and let's talk robotics in another two weeks time.